How are you? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 10. We continue our verse by verse, chapter by chapter study through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 10, looking at the second half of that chapter, verses 24 through 48. The topic of those verses, Peter answers the invitation to come to Cornelius' house. He learns that the gospel and the gift of the Holy Spirit are for whoever will believe. Title of our message, Guess Who's Coming to Sinners? (laughs) Beginning in verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Let's pray together. Father, we have such excitement and anticipation every time we open your word together and are present in your presence, knowing that you're here to teach 
and to remind us of your great love for us. We know that you won't disappoint us today, Lord, that you will whisper sweet and precious promises and principles to our hearts. Do these and more, we pray, Lord, all that you desire to do. And we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. When I was growing up, the only thing equal opportunity in my family was our prejudice. We ridiculed and despised everyone. We had put-downs for ethnicity, age, disability, social status, religion, intellect, ignorance, sexual orientation, politics, and physical appearance. I think that just about covers it. I can relate to Peter's dilemma in the first century. The Jews had deeply ingrained prejudices. They had no dealings by choice with Gentiles. They certainly would not show or share hospitality to Gentiles. One tradition taught that the only reason God created Gentiles was to fuel the fires of hell. It's pretty obvious that the prejudice went the other way as well. Throughout history and continuing today, the Jews have been despised and persecuted by the Gentile nations of the world. Yet here was Peter on the threshold, literally, of a Gentile's house about to break Jewish law and break down centuries-old barriers by taking a step inside. I think you can summarize the change in Peter's heart in one word that he used twice in these verses. It's the word whoever. Peter came to understand that God would save whoever believes in him, verse 43. Ethnic, national, religious, and social barriers were divinely removed. Peter could look at Cornelius and say in verse 26, I myself am a man like you, just a man, just like Cornelius, just like all other men. There was only one race, the human race, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to know that he has redeemed them and they can therefore be saved. Maybe you are free from prejudice. Maybe you aren't. Either way, you and I will benefit by looking at all unsaved men, women, and children as whoever will believe. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, every person you encounter is whoever will believe. And number two, whoever has believed is a person God can empower. First of all, in verses 23 through 43, every person you encounter is whoever will believe. The word Peter used can be translated whoever or whosoever or everyone. It's a big word that scares some people. They don't understand how God can remain sovereign if every human being has a real opportunity to receive or reject Jesus Christ. They want to reduce the whoever's to a smaller group within the human race. I understand some of the theological issues raised by the word whoever, but at the end of the day, whoever means whoever from among the whole human race. Now, we left Peter and Joppa at the home of Simon the Tanner. Cornelius had sent a delegation to fetch Peter to Caesarea at the bidding of an angel who had appeared to him. And so in verse 24, in the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius was counting on Peter's obedience. He sent for him and then began to invite his friends, counting on Peter's obedience. And I got stuck right there for a while this week because that's a really heavy thought. Are non-believers, in a sense, 
counting on my obedience as a Christian or on yours? Am I in a place spiritually and personally where I can hear from God and be sent to someone? It's an encouragement for us to stay ready, to live as though we were on call all the time. Not that we're so important or we'd ever get a sense of our, you know, that the Lord can't do anything without us, but non-believers, in a sense, are counting on our obedience. In that time and in that moment when their heart is open and receptive to hear from the Lord, we need to be ready to give them a word from the Lord, ready physically, ready spiritually, ready in every dimension of our lives. So stay ready. Verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Don't you find it awkward when people fall down at your feet and worship you? I know I do. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. Peter was only a man, but he was saying more than that. He's saying, I'm just like you, Cornelius. This is a big statement for a Jew to make, to put a Gentile on equal footing while simultaneously reducing the importance of being a Jew. Look, too, at the symbolism. It's, it's really interesting. Peter lifted Cornelius up to his level. I mean, Cornelius is blowing it, of course, by bowing down to him and worshiping him. But it's interesting that he does it because God is able then to use it in symbolism. Peter lifts Cornelius up to his level. They were equal, two men, two humans, no longer a Jew and a Gentile, two men. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Cornelius was an important and influential man. Plus, he was a genuinely nice guy. And so the place was packed out with family and friends. And I don't know, you know, I didn't really do, uh, you know, look up houses in Caesarea on the Internet, but probably, you know, it had a big courtyard area, and, and there could have been a substantial crowd gathered there that day. Uh, you know, more people than would fit in my living room. I mean, quite a few people. I don't want to guesstimate, but there were a lot of people there packed out. Verse 28. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Now, in our previous study, we saw the import of the words common and unclean. The Jews were God's chosen nation. All other Gentile nations were thus considered common by the Jews. But God had removed that designation. No one was common anymore. No one was barred from salvation. Gentiles need not first become Jews in order to be saved. Cornelius now rehearsed the visit of the angel. So Cornelius said, verse 30, Four days ago, I was fasting up until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. 
When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Cornelius is a biblical example of a non-believer living according to the revelation of God that he has thus far received. God saw his heart seeking after truth and made sure that additional revelation was provided for him. Cornelius continued to act upon the further revelation until he was presented with the gospel and, in his case, saved. As evangelicals, we believe that God will respond to the seeking heart and provide a fuller revelation of himself to those who have not yet heard the gospel. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. People have trouble with that. Everybody's trying to figure God out all the time, uh, and, and they end up reducing God to our own understanding. Uh, Cornelius is an example. We see in Acts 17, we're going to uh, see it put in principle when Paul the Apostle says, look, God scattered people all over the earth for the express purpose that they would seek after him and be found by him. How all of that works is oftentimes miraculous and wonderful. I don't know. I'm not here to explain that. And the person I'm talking to has a question about that. Uh, We don't know. But what about you? Have you received Christ? That's the issue. And so as evangelicals, we believe that God will respond to the seeking heart and give more and more revelation of himself as that heart responds. Then Peter opened his mouth, verse 34, and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, these words are mind-blowing. Centuries of Jewish law and tradition are canceled out. God is not partial to either Jews or Gentiles. He isn't interested in nationalities. And by extension, in further revelation later in the Word of God, we learn he is not interested in ethnicity or gender or any of the categories that prejudice a person. He sees all humans, sons and daughters of Adam, needing to be saved. And so what a, what a tremendous revelation this is. What a tremendous statement this is uh, for Peter to make. He says, there's really no partiality with God. He doesn't see me as a Jew and you as a Gentile. He doesn't see men and women. Uh, he doesn't see slave and free. He doesn't see uh, nationalities or any of these things for the purposes of salvation. Everyone can come on an equal footing. It makes no difference. Hard for me to accept as an Italian, but uh, very, very true. And, but the truth is, we do have our own sense of prejudice. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, you know, I don't want to make a pun, but there's a fine line between pride and prejudice in the sense of having some ethnic pride and, you know, being, you know, rooting for Italy in the World Cup or whatever it might be. And, and having real prejudice against other people for many different reasons. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times as Christians, we think we've beaten racial prejudice. You know, we, we really aren't uh, discriminating or prejudice against other races, or at least I would hope that we aren't. But there's a lot of other ways to be prejudiced against different groups of people, all the way down to just the way people look. Uh, and, and it behooves us because it's part of that sin nature, part of the flesh, 
you know, you, you, you carry a lot of baggage around with you as a, a Christian, and the Lord maybe will reveal this to you and say, hey, you, you're still a little bit prejudiced here in this uh, arena. I'm not saying that sometimes we don't have to discriminate between people in terms of how to share with them, but everyone, the idea here this morning is I should look at everyone, regardless of these other categories, as a person who needs to be saved, as a whosoever will. When it says whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him, now that doesn't mean you can be saved by sincerity and good works. Cornelius was uh, a guy that was fearing God and worked righteousness. He was such a person, but we'll read later in chapter 11 that he was not saved at this point. He wasn't saved until the end of this chapter. It just means what we've already said. God will respond to a seeker and send additional revelation. And so Peter got right to it. Verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it's he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now, to teach this sermon fully, we'd have to break from the book of Acts and read through the four Gospels. Uh, because Peter basically summarizes uh, everything that had happened in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it gives me an opportunity just to mention that what we do here on Sunday mornings, or in any Bible study really, is to go as deep as the Holy Spirit deems fit uh, for that particular audience at that particular time. And a lot of different ways even to teach the Bible verse by verse. And I know even I sometimes think, Lord, I, you know, I'd really like to go into more of a, the cosmopolitan atmosphere of Caesarea or the architecture of the houses or all of these different things. But you quite honestly only have so much time. And, uh, I mean, you could spend a whole Sunday on verse 36, move to verse 37. It could take you 17 years to get through the book of Acts. Or you could just summarize the book of Acts in one study. And so if you're the kind of person that wants to know more, uh, then dig deeper and supplement your Sunday sermon or your Wednesday study uh, by reading commentaries by good, solid evangelical authors. Uh, and while I'm on the subject, anybody who has a personal computer uh, that's Windows-based, you ought to download eSword on the Internet, e-sword.net. Free Bible study software, tremendous program. Now, this may only be a summary of Peter's words. We don't know if this was his entire sermon or not. But even if he said more, he too obviously summarized quite a bit. He'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, uh, seen many things happen. And, and so, uh, whatever you get is always a summary. It's interesting, Peter gave the essence of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, he was crucified, he rose from the dead on the third day, and is Lord over all forevermore. 
This sermon, if this was his sermon, just these words, it can be spoken aloud in less than one minute unless you put in a lot of pauses and hanky wipes or something like that. But it's a very short, pithy, to-the-point sermon. And it reminded me that not always, but sometimes we give people too much information. When I got saved, a friend of mine, a Christian friend, uh, took me out to breakfast be, and I was, you know, struggling uh, to, you know, against the Lord and trying to figure everything out. And he knew that. And so he took me out to breakfast and he spent over an hour trying to convince me of certain truths. I think he told me everything he knew about God at that point. We did little Bible studies and he'd ask me questions and he did every apologetic. I mean, he just exhausted himself. And I dialogued back with him. And finally, I think more out of frustration than anything else, at the end of our time together, he said, do you want to get saved? And I said, well, of course. I thought that's what we were doing here this morning. And he got real nervous, and he, you know, he paid for the meal, and he wouldn't let go of me. He kept, you know, and he took me out to his car and prayed the sinner's prayer out there with me and stuff. But it reminds me sometimes, I mean, sometimes we need to go for the kill, as it were. You know, I mean, and, I mean we, we think that people need to be convinced of every Bible truth that there is. We go through creation versus evolution and the sanctity of life and, and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and we, we hit all of these topics. And a lot of times, I think sometimes we need to just ask people if they're ready to meet their maker. If they know where they'd go if they died, do you want to get saved? Do you want to have eternal life? And so keep that in mind. Certainly, we need to be studying these things. We need to be a good apologist, ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that is within us and any questions they might ask. But uh, sometimes I do think we provide way too much information and we do an overload. We almost make people think that it's too complicated. They don't, they don't know enough, and, and so they, they need to keep learning more and more before they can get saved. That's why I like the, the guy in the Gospels. He says, look, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. You can ask me all the questions you want uh, for whatever reason, but I was blind one minute, next minute I could see, and Jesus did that for me. And so keep that in mind. Verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins Peter didn't know it, but this was his conclusion and altar call. Cornelius and those gathered understood that they qualified as whoever. They believed in Jesus, and they immediately received the remission of their sins and were saved for eternity. Now, before we see the joy of their salvation, let's focus one more time on this word, whoever. If I am a Christian, I should no longer see a person as a Jew or a Gentile. I should no longer see them through their ethnic heritage. I should no longer see them through their religious beliefs or their politics or any of the other categories that might prejudice me against them. For sure, those things can come into play, as I mentioned. I would share Christ differently if the person were a Muslim or a Mormon or if I knew something about where they were coming from. I want to be all things to all men and meet people where they are at, but I should no longer see them in that way. I should see them as a member of the human race, a descendant of Adam and Eve in need of salvation on an equal footing with me as far as God is concerned. We stand together. 
Everyone I encounter is whoever will believe. They need to know the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. They need to understand he has redeemed the entire human race by his death at Calvary and will save any and all who believe on him. I'm not interested in them changing their religion or their political affiliation or their sexual orientation. All of those things will happen after they get saved. Verses 44 through 48, whoever has believed is a person God can empower. This would be a good time to remind uh, ourselves of the theme of the book of Acts. Jesus told his disciples, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. And then he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's in chapter 1 verse 8. And we saw there that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as promised. The same thing now happens to Gentiles. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. Let's stop there. Now, those of the circumcision refers to Jewish believers Peter had brought with him. Peter knew that he was heading into uncharted spiritual waters by visiting Cornelius and by accepting the invitation to go into the house of this Gentile. And so he wisely took guys along with him who could verify what took place and give a testimony. And by the way, it's always a good idea to share in ministry, to bring somebody with you, to do it together. There's an encouragement, there's a fellowship, there's a discipling, there's, a, I believe, a release of power. And so if you ever are called upon to do something, uh, do it with someone else. Now, this is a repeat of what happened to the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. Thus, the speaking in tongues referred to here is them speaking in tongues foreign languages that were unknown to them. It is not the gift of tongues later described by the Apostle Paul as speaking in an unknown language. Now, that's an important distinction because some Pentecostal Christians believe and teach and stress that you must speak in tongues to prove that you are spirit-filled. Some go so far as to say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. Uh, And and part of this, not the entire confusion in their minds, but part of it has to do with they do not differentiate what happened on the day of Pentecost and at this Gentile Pentecost with the later gift of speaking in tongues. We saw on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in known foreign languages, and it was a miracle. It wasn't a gift of tongues. It was a miracle of languages as everyone heard them speak in their own native language. It was a sign of what Peter is talking about, that there is no distinction anymore nationally or ethnically. Everybody can get saved. And here at Cornelius' house, you might say, well, aren't they all Gentiles? Well, sure, but they're still a, it's, you know, a melting pot. Uh, and, and there were many different nationalities represented in the household of Uh, Cornelius, and so they have this same miracle of languages to show not only that God had saved them, but he had broken down all ethnic and national barriers to salvation. Whoever, whosoever, everyone can be saved. 
Verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Since the disciples were charged to make disciples and then baptize them, Peter was simply stating that these folks, even though Gentiles, were most definitely saved. Nothing a Jew might object to could change the fact that they had received both the indwelling and the empowering gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like God went out of his way to show how saved they really were so that when the objections came up that Gentiles must first become Jews in order to be genuinely saved, Peter could just say, what are you guys talking about? How can you say that? Let me tell you what happened at Cornelius' house. And so in verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So they get saved and they go right to their first retreat. Uh, They say, hey, can you hang out for a few days? Peter was their guest speaker, and he filled in many things uh, in their thinking. Remember, some of you can remember when you first got saved, especially if you got saved uh, later in life as an adult, and you wanted to know everything. You, you want it, you, you give me a book, you know, help me to figure this out. I, I need to get caught up on, on what I believe. Uh, I, I remember the first birthday after I got saved, I gave my parents and my brothers lists of books they could go get at Berean Christian Bookstore. And that's all I got. Oh, thank you. Henry Morris's, you know, Genesis record. Oh, look at this. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament. Where my family thought I was a nut. Uh, of course, they still do, but, but I got this great Bible library, you know, uh, that was the first, because I wanted, to, I wanted to know what I'd been missing all those years. You can never get too far into the book of Acts without a reminder we need the empowering of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I heard Chuck Swindoll teach one time, I forget which book he was teaching on, but, but he, he, you know, he has that brilliant way of, of coming up with things that, that just capture an idea. And, and he, he reminded his audience that whatever book you're studying has a theme. It has an overriding theme. And uh, you know, so you're going to keep hitting that theme and that idea over and over again. He says it's like eating a pie. He said if, you, if you've got an apple pie, he said no matter how you slice it, you're going to taste apple pie. You might have some more crust, more apple, more filling in certain times, but it's going to taste the same. And so you don't ever get too far in the book of Acts without Luke reminding you of this incredible gifting of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you guys, you're saved, but you can't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and baptizes you. And now we see this happen to the Gentiles. As we go through the book of Acts, we'll see that this is received in a variety of ways. Some people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to their salvation and water baptism after a time of waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. Some received it subsequent to their salvation and water baptism by the laying on of the hands of the apostles. At least one person, Paul, received it subsequent to his salvation but before his water baptism by the laying on of hands of an average believer. Some received it simultaneously with their salvation and before they were water baptized like these Gentiles at Cornelius' house. I would add to all that the Bible says qualified 
uh, that there's the testimony of many godly men in church history who describe receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit much later in their ministries. Men like D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey, men we trust as excellent Bible scholars and expositors of the Word who nevertheless understood that you could be saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit but lack this empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so we could say that there are at least four types of people in any assembly of Christian, uh, where the, where, not of Christians, but where the Bible is being taught. There are always non-believers, or at least there's the potential for there being non-believers. You may believe certain things, but not yet be saved. You could be a Cornelius. You could be sincere in seeking the Lord, but not yet be saved. Never been born again. The Holy Spirit does not, therefore, indwell you and your great need is to receive Christ. And then there are believers who either simultaneously or subsequently have by faith received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He fell upon you, and you understand your dependence upon Him to empower your witness. There are believers who have not yet received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You're saved and indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, but you lack power in your witness Maybe you've never heard it was possible, or maybe you've become convinced there is no such experience subsequent to salvation. Uh, a lot of churches spend a lot of time trying to convince you there's no experience like this. You don't need any more power than you already have. And then there are those who, although you've received this baptism with the Spirit, really need to be stirred up to serve the Lord. You, it's been a long time since you've stepped out in faith in this empowering and were used of the Lord. As we close, you can resolve any one of those issues. You can be saved. You can receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit right where you sit. You can come forward afterwards and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Or you can get stirred up to serve the Lord. Uh, normally that happens with me when I'm honest with myself. I look at myself and I say, hey, I'm just sitting around. I'm just comfortable. Uh, God's been prompting me and moving on my heart, but I'm resistant to it. And uh, then I yield myself to the Lord. So whatever category you're in this morning, uh, resolve this as we close in prayer and close in worship so that the Lord is capable of sending you to some unbeliever who desperately needs to hear that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, now we thank you for these things. We thank you for their, uh, their broadness, really, how that they affect the entire human race. Uh, in passing, Lord, I would pray that in my own heart and life and in the lives of the brethren that are here this morning, that we would deal with any known prejudice, that we would let you reveal any subtle, unknown prejudice so that we would honestly be able to see every person, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, regardless of political orientation or even sexual orientation, regardless of how they look, that we'd regard them as a person you love, died for, redeemed, and are willing to save should they accept you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that each of us would search our hearts. Those who are not believers would come to Christ this morning. Peter didn't even need to give an altar call, Lord. You fell into their hearts. Uh, they believed that they were among the whoever, and you saved them. And I pray that that would happen here. For those of us who are believers, Lord, that we would know that we've been baptized with your Spirit and that you would stir us up to serve you today, this week, until the coming of Jesus Christ. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. All right, let's stand together. Come on down for prayer. If, uh, you know, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to receive the baptism with the Spirit, if you just want to be stirred up, or if there's any other reason that you want to share uh, in prayer, a prayer request, don't be shy. Just come on forward. The guys come uh, forward uh, early now so that you don't have to wait for them, and uh, it's a good thing. Um, pretty sure there's breakfast burritos this morning. I smell them. Uh, so get over there and grab your burrito. A burrito will be waiting for you if you pray. You know, Billy Graham used to say the buses will wait. We say the burritos will wait. So uh, come on forward if you need prayer, if you just want to touch base with the Lord. May God bless you and keep you. Wednesday night, love to see you Wednesday night at our communion service. Even if you don't normally come on Wednesday night, uh, it's a great time to just gather together with your family and the family of believers and celebrate at the Lord's table. God bless you.